chapter twenty one of australia new zealand and some other islands of the south seas by frank g carpenter this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by betty b tasmania i write this in one of the farthest south towns of the globe hobart is twenty five hundred miles below the equator with nothing but ocean between it and the frozen lands of the antarctic it is now the end of april late in the fall in this topsy-turvy land but the grass is as green as in old ireland in june and although mount wellington back of the city has a coat of snow the sheep are everywhere feeding out of doors and it is warm as ohio in may as i look around me i cannot realize that this is tasmania the country i studied about years ago as van diemen's land i had read of the cruel treatment of the criminals sent out to it from england i knew it was an island somewhere between the south pole and australia i had an idea that it was bleak bare and inhospitable the jumping-off place of creation and it seemed that to visit it would hardly be worth the time and expense i have changed my opinion tasmania is the switzerland of the southern pacific and one of the most healthful and beautiful lands of the globe it is a heart-shaped island with its top less than two hundred miles from australia and its point toward the pole at the southernmost tip the pacific and the indian oceans meet tasmania is all mountains valleys and glens with waterfalls and lakes forests of fern trees trout brooks and hunting parks its coast is deeply indented with fjords and harbors and the tourist bureaus have made it a great health resort the whole country is spotted with boarding-houses and hotels, and during the summer months, from December until May, it is swarming with visitors. One can go almost anywhere by motor, coach, horseback, or rail, and always have good company. There are also many tourists on foot. Although more than twice the size of Belgium, Tasmania has only about 200,000 people, compared with Belgium's seven millions. Hobart, the capital and largest city on the island, has about 52,000. It lies on a fine harbor in a nest of hills on the banks of the Derwent. Back of the river rises a mountain, the rocks of which look like the pipes of an organ. Hobart pride themselves on having the first electric railroad line in their latitude. The cars are not like any we have in the United States. They were made in England and look as though they had been pounded out by a crossroads blacksmith they are enormous double-deckers and their sides are plastered with advertisements i rode on the roof right under a great steel bow which pressing against the overhead wire takes the place of our trolley i timed the trip and found we made speed only when going downhill most of the time our motion was a succession of spasmodic jerks as though the electricity were afflicted with fits near hobart was port arthur the chief penal colony of the old van diemen's land its site can be reached by a short sail down the derwent river some of the convict buildings are still standing and one can get a guide there who will describe the terrible punishments that drove many of the prisoners to suicide they were flogged tortured with dripping water and loaded with heavy chains they were kept in dark cells were made to pull railway cars and were subjected to all sorts of inhuman treatment many of the best families in tasmania today are descendants of these convicts some of them will acknowledge their ancestry 
but if one asks them the crime for which their forebears were transported each will invariably reply that it was for stealing a loaf of bread it would have taken a good-sized bakehouse running steadily to supply the many loaves said to have been stolen by these early england ireland scotland or australia the hobart museum is a mecca to students of ethnology for here is preserved the body of the last of the aborigines when the island was a penal colony there was still a number of the original blacks but they were so corrupted by escaped convicts that they became a menace to the whites in eighteen thirty a drive of three thousand europeans was organized against them and all who survived were finally exiled to a dreary wind-swept island in bass strait here their health suffered and they were forced to wear clothes which they never took off no matter how filthy they became the poor creatures were also the easy prey of the sealers and escaped criminals that came now and then to their place of exile and at the end of fifteen years only forty-four survived a woman trugonini the last of the race died at the age of seventy-three in eighteen seventy six her skeleton is in the museum and the scientists come here to study the skull the native tasmanians belong to an even more backward race and stage of civilization than the aborigines of australia the island state deserves its name of the apple island it is a voyage of more than a month by sea from hobart to london but apples are sent to england every year by the shipload in refrigerator steamers the annual crop now amounts to more than two million bushels and brings in close to two and a half million dollars it would surprise our orchardists to see how close the tasmanians plant apple trees they set them out ten feet apart instead of twenty or forty feet as with us and i am told that as many as six hundred bushels are sometimes gathered from a single acre the trees begin to bear in their third or fourth year and keep on bearing for twenty-five or thirty years tasmania ships much green fruit to australia it raises quantities of pears plums cherries and currants and in recent years has been exporting several hundred thousand dollars worth of jam not only to the united kingdom but to south africa france and even to the united states by the law of the commonwealth every jar of jam or marmalade exported must bear a label stating that it was made in australia tasmania which had built up a reputation for her preserves before the federation of the states does not like this law for it seems to give all the credit to australia the jam makers get around it by printing their labels with the word tasmania in large letters and australia in small letters these people are excellent farmers and their crops are usually good the wheat fields cover only about twenty two thousand acres but the average production is more than eighteen bushels per acre which is far ahead of the yield in the other australian states large quantities of barley and oats are grown the island ranks with vermont as a place for breeding fine sheep it has many sheep worth upward of a thousand dollars apiece they are sold to the mainland states and the countries of south america pedigreed rams often bringing as much as five thousand dollars each the land holdings are smaller than in australia or new zealand so that the tasmanian sheep breeders can therefore take better care of their stock this is a great turnip country and in this part of the world a good turnip country is a good sheep country 
there are fields about hobart that have produced as much as sixteen tons of turnips to the acre and in northeastern tasmania twenty-five tons have been grown on an acre until eighteen seventy two the minerals of tasmania were practically unknown but in that year on mount bischoff in the northwestern part of the island tin mines were opened which have proved to be the largest tin mines of the world they paid their first dividend in eighteen seventy eight and are still yielding large profits another big mineral property is that at mount lyle which was discovered in eighteen eighty one it was first worked as a gold mine but was afterward found to contain copper and silver when these ores were smelted the results were so gratifying that the original company was reorganized with a capital of about four and a half million dollars a railroad was built from the mines to the smelting works and within a short time the company had five smelters treating eleven thousand tons of ore a month this company paid its first dividend in eighteen ninety seven and by the middle of the year following it had distributed more than a million dollars to its stockholders it now pays out many thousands a year in salaries and wages and is making money right along from its copper i have made some inquiries about lands both mineral and agricultural and i find that all the best land has been taken up and that farms and city property bring almost as much as in the united states for years one trouble with tasmania was the fact that its lands were held in big blocks by rich men who would not sell but now under the closer settlement laws the minister of lands may acquire either compulsorily or by agreement private land in any part of the island to be leased to settlers the land taken over by the government is divided into farm allotments the value of which may not exceed twenty thousand dollars these are rented on ninety-nine year leases unfortunately the government is not yet rich enough to buy up many of the large estates one of the troubles about taking up government lands is the dense growth of timber which must be cut down before they can be used the climate here is moist and the undergrowth is thicker than in most parts of our country much of the timber is eucalyptus but there are also beeches dogwoods oaks and other hardwoods there are millions of acres of virgin forests some of which are now being cut to furnish railway ties to other australian states and to south africa the cost of living is as high in tasmania as in the other australian states but wages are lower the best paid laborers are the skilled iron and electrical workers and they get a maximum of only thirty dollars a week as to clerks and bookkeepers they are poorly paid and there are few clerical positions open domestic servants are in demand and their wages are fair the australians of the mainland seem to consider the people of tasmania as slow as the new yorkers do the philadelphians they have a saying don't send a live man to tasmania send flowers i have heard it said that the island used to be peopled by women children and graybeards for as soon as the boys reached man's estate they crossed bass street to victoria or new south wales this however is no longer true tasmania is waking up and its people think it has a big future as a manufacturing center for all australia its numerous lakes and rivers can furnish abundant water power at low cost and the development of its hydroelectric resources is going forward rapidly all kinds of electrical appliances 
which are regarded more or less luxuries even in the large cities of the mainland are conveniences of everyday life in many small towns of tasmania the state government has already built a hydroelectric power station at great lake about sixty miles north of hobart this delivers thirty thousand horsepower to the electrolytic zinc corporation whose works are the largest of the kind in existence it also supplies a big carbide manufacturing plant as well as power for hobart's streetcars and lighting system woolen mills a big chocolate factory and other industrial plants will get their power from this station so will Lawsiston as soon as the transmission line from the lake to the northern city is completed Lawsiston has its own power plant but this does not give sufficient current for its needs ultimately the capacity of the great lake powerhouse will be raised to seventy two thousand horsepower other projects are planned for tasmania's hydroelectric resources are estimated at more than two hundred thousand horsepower there is even talk of transmitting some of the power from the island by cable to the mainland end of chapter twenty one